right. It is Thursday, September 10th, 2020, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to cover a wide range of topics, including the disaster that DAZN is going through with the Canelo Alvarez lawsuit, Bellator and PFL making some broadcast moves into international markets and why they're deciding to do that right now. Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson looks like it's not going to happen for UFC 254 due to contract negotiations. We'll touch on that a little bit and more. So if you're watching on YouTube, again, hit that like and subscribe button. And if you're listening to the podcast via Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really appreciate it. And don't forget to also go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're, we're really working on some awesome content here. We've got some new team members that I'm really excited about. We're about to start churning out some really good stuff here. And the more subscribers we get, the more leeway and bandwidth we have to do that stuff. So much appreciated. Really do appreciate your support for this. And let's go ahead and dive in. So first up, let's go ahead and talk about DAZN. So one of the biggest pieces of news coming out of the combat sports world this week is that Canelo Alvarez is filing a lawsuit against DAZN and Golden Boy Promotions. He's alleging breach of contract. And to give you a high-level overview of the situation, if you want more details, go follow Jason Cruz on Twitter. The dude knows his stuff. Wrote a whole book about legal issues in combat sports, MMA specifically. He's one of the most knowledgeable sources out there about this stuff. So check him out for the actual details. But a high-level overview of the situation is this. Essentially, Canelo's contract with DAZN, he gets certain purse structures based on the quality of opponent. So at the premium tier, which is judged at pretty much the sole discretion of DAZN, they decide who is a premium opponent or not. He gets $35 million per his boxing purse, which is when you heard about him signing with DAZN, that was the whole $365 million for so many fights. And it was such a ma major deal that was all based on premium opponents for anything less than that or or and really not actually less than that in most cases it's, it's up to the um who is premium who's not if, if it's not a premium opponent he gets a significantly smaller purse and right now callum smith or billy joel saunders is waiting in the wings to fight canelo he's very much about those fights but the doesn't consider those guys premium tier opponents so where that rubs Canelo the wrong way is that they're pretty much next in line to, to fight Canelo and get a shot at his titles. It, it's hard to argue that there's someone in the boxing world that's more of a premium tier. Triple G is listed as a premium tier, and a lot of people want to see that third fight, but there, there's been some roadblocks in terms of getting that deal done with the purse cut and also just the cross-promotional, every, everything going on there. Um, don't know the specifics. Again, you'd have to do some more research to see why that fight fell fell out but it did right we, we had talked about it last year some point and it that trilogy just never came to fruition so I, besides triple g those two are really you know who's left for canelo right now in the boxing world and his own saying sorry that's not a premium opponent who who is a premium opponent you ask well according to the zone uh premium opponents are listed as follows outside of triple g there is oscar de la hoya oscar de la hoya who is 47 and has just recently come out of retirement it's that's a whole you know if you can't understand the absurdity of calling him a premium opponent 
I don't know what to tell you. Then there's Jorge Masvidal or Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, what do those three have in common? Realistically, all three of them probably get destroyed by Canelo easily. I mean, Jorge probably has the best shot in the boxing ring with Canelo, but even then, I in a, in a pure boxing fight, I'm pretty sure Canelo would take that hands down. But what they also have is big drawing power, right? We've recently seen with the Kamaru Usman fight that Masvidal has kind of seemingly broached that next level of superstardom. They were able to get 1.3 million pay-per-view buys worldwide, around 900,000 or so domestically. That's a, that's a big needle-moving pay-per-view. And it, it wasn't Usman, by all accounts. Definitely social media metrics and other metrics we follow really show that it was Masvidal uh, reaching that next level. Finally, you know, moving up after defeating Nate Diaz and getting that BMF belt really kind of catapulted him to a whole new realm of crossover stardom. So he's definitely got the moving the needle power. Khabib Nurmagomedov certainly has the moving the needle power in terms of just his his devout following in MMA. Uh, you know, he's really started to break some boundaries internationally, especially after the Poirier fight at UFC 242. I, I mean, he's really become kind of a superstar in the Muslim community. It, it's it's not surprising that he he has finally taken that realm or. or you know, taking that position rather as being a, a massive star in that community. And if he went up against Canelo, that would be a huge crossover fight. You've got the undefeated MMA star who's known for his wrestling going in and trying to box, you know, and it's not going to be on the level of, of Mayweather McGregor, but it would certainly draw. It, it certainly would. And then Oscar De La Hoya, same thing. He's 47. I just talked about how it would be, it would be absurd in terms of, I, I think that's the weakest opponent for uh canelo honestly from pure skill because even though khabib certainly would need to you know touch up his boxing and do all that he's far younger far fresher he seemingly has a good chin on him i i feel like de la hoya you know at 47 is just asking for for a brutal beatdown. maybe not maybe he would be ahead of khabib there i might get reamed in the comments for for this take but i i wouldn't put them that far apart either way that much i would say um but again, everybody knows Oscar De La Hoya. Even you know my friends who never followed boxing know Oscar De La Hoya is a boxer that has a name and name value and star power, and would maybe, especially during a pandemic, if they don't have anything else going on, might go ahead and you know tune in to see Canelo versus De La Hoya. Plus, you've got a whole storyline that if you did De La Hoya versus Alvarez, you know. Obviously, Golden Boy Promotions is run by Oscar De La Hoya, so you'd have this kind of like wwe-esque you know former you know stablemate fighting the boss type situations so that that whole storyline would definitely be you know something that the media could play up and i'm sure they would if, if that fight came to fruition the point though of all of this in a broader picture and what i really want to focus on here is that DAZN's in big trouble I've talked to you guys before about how DAZN was looking to raise money before the pandemic. Uh, Len Blatnovic, the billionaire who really pretty much was DAZN's entire pay payroll um, for the first several years, has already decided before all of this craziness with COVID happened that he was ready to, you know, kind of look for the door and exit or at least, at least, you know, step back from the role he was playing as the major funder. Um, of, of the streaming service and 
ever since COVID-19 happened, things have only gotten worse for DAZN. I mean, they now are looking to raise twice as much as they were before the pandemic hit. They are telling subscribers, hey, you can't get a refund. We're just going to delay your payments and then give you credits for the next X amount of months. They're pretty much locking people in to not allow them to cancel their service, which is huge. It's it's really a bad time for the promotion. And this, this, is, oof, this is possibly the death knell. If Alvarez is able to either get out of his contract or, you know, win in, in a court of law in terms of saying, hey, they breached contracts, so I'm owed damages I'm and I'm free to go wherever, that's that's pretty much it. I can't imagine DAZONE is going to be able to hang on long enough to get the subscriber base and foothold they need in order to convince investors to pour more money into them while they, again, go after their main goal, which is getting NFL rights, uh, MLB rights, the, the major American sports, so to speak, uh, broadcast media rights, which come up uh, for renegotiation here in a couple of years. That's really what they're looking to do is they, they are trying to hold on until those media rights deals are up for bid so that they can get some major players because if they get you know American football or they get most MLB games or basketball, that would take them to a whole new level. And that's really what they sold uh, Blatnovic on was, hey, you know, we are basically fund us and then we'll eventually become, you know, the streaming giant that will rival ESPN, will rival some of these other big streaming networks and will lead your way to the future. That's what they they sold him on. And quite frankly, the financials, even with, you know, Alvarez and some of these bigger stars, Anthony Joshua, um, getting Bellator and some, some of these other MMA promotions to kind of round out their combat sports portfolio and use that as their entry into the rest of the sports markets has, you know, metrics on that are not good that they simply are, are just not what they expected internally and what they were promising their investors. So, you know, is this the death knell for DAZN? Very well could be. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to see where they go from here. If they're able to negotiate a premium opponent and actually get the subscribers that come along with that, because that's really, again, what DAZN is looking for. They're looking for somebody who moves the needle, who's going to get people to sign up for the service, who they can maybe, you know, sell on a one-off pay-per-view style event. I don't know if they're going to go that route, but who knows, you know, especially right now they're hurting for cash. They'll be looking for every penny they can get. And, and Callum Smith and Billy Joe Saunders are, are not going to do that. Will hardcore boxing fans tune in? Sure. Even moderate boxing fans will probably tune in for those fights because it's an Alvarez fight and you never know, but you're, you're not going to really boost your subscriber count or get more viewers than normal. If, if you have those fights. So the zone's definitely up against the ropes here. If I had to call it, I would say that, yeah, there, I would say this is the beginning of the end for them. Could be wrong. You know, they, they do have some good leadership there. Um, but at the same time, they, they just haven't gotten the traction that they needed to in order to set up their bigger play at some of these bigger sports media rights deals. And without that foothold, you can't convince investors to keep you alive long enough or to invest 
you know, and give you the war chest you need in order to go after and outbid some of the television networks who are also on the ropes ever since the rise of streaming, right? You know, Fox and and some of these bigger broadcast networks are hurting for content and bleeding subscribers. ESPN is making that transition to ESPN Plus, but they still have the majority of their revenue and and their ad revenue coming from their flagship television channel. And they need as much content as they can get. They're not just going to give those rights up and say, ah, okay, you outbid us. If you're disowned and you're hoping to win some of that stuff, you have to go big and you have to have a war chest or some, some financial backing in order to get this done. And right now they don't appear to have that. So I think this might be it for them. We'll see. But I, this might be the slow beginning of the death spiral for zone. All right, next up, let's go ahead and dive into some somber news, unfortunately, for most of us fight fans. Looks like Dustin Poirier is not going to be fighting Tony Ferguson as originally thought at UFC 254 in October due to contract issues. Uh, Poirier has said from the start that he's a prize fighter, and you know if the prize is right, he'll go out there and fight Tony easily. Apparently, he's telling ESPN in a new report that just came out today that they they couldn't come to terms, that Poirier and UFC couldn't come to terms with that. Now, if you look at Poirier's purse history, you know, he got 150K um, to show and win against Dan Hooker, the his most recent fight that he headlined in, in an all-out war that was, you know, will go down as a classic fight. I mean, that was an amazing fight. And if you look at Poirier's past several fights, I mean, the dude rarely has a bad fight. I would say Nurmagomedov is his worst showing out of his last four or five fights. And that's not taking anything away against Dustin Poirier because it's Khabib Nurmagomedov and that's what he does. I mean, he just goes out there and mauls you. It, it's, you know, he, he can make the most exciting fighters look bad. And in fact, we may see that happen in the upcoming title fight at UFC 254 when Nurmagomedov fights Justin Gagey. It might be, you know, Gagey just looks helpless out there. It's it's what, you know, Khabib does. But, you know, that aside, Poirier has put on some of the best fights, most entertaining fights that one can imagine a fighter has, you know, put on. You know, in in recent memory, the only person I can really compare him to is Gagey, actually. In terms of just the the all-out excitement of the rest of his fights. I mean, his fight against Dan Hooker, his fight against Gagey, his fight against Max Holloway, his fight against Eddie Alvarez the second time. First time as well, though that ended in controversy, but, you know, second time against Alvarez looking amazing. Anthony Pettis, the dude, puts on fight of the night performance makers consistently. And he's saying, you know, I need to get paid my worth in order to go and take a dangerous fight against Tony Ferguson, which is completely understandable because Ferguson is a monster. Up in, up until losing to Gaethje recently, he he had been on a crazy, you know, win streak and had really bloodied some guys up. And even Gaethje took damage in that fight. I mean, it's not like Gaethje came out unscathed. It was a good back and forth. You know, that's that's a rough fight for anybody to take. And Poirier is basically saying, you know what, I'll do it, but you, you got to pay me, pay me my worth. And the hard part for him is, is that, you know, this is just a promotional stance. This is what they do. This is what they do with John Jones. This is what they do with Jorge Masvidal. And they apparently came to some terms, right? You know, eventually got Masvidal back 
in the octagon. But before he got that title shot, when issues happened and, you know, where really when Burns got removed because of COVID, I mean, Masvidal was complaining, saying the same type of thing. Like, hey, you got to pay me what, what I'm worth. And Poirier is not... I don't want to say he's not in title contention because if he got a title shot again, you know, in, in six months or, or was a, if he was a late notice replacement, if, if a fight fell out, uh, I mean, nobody would be shocked that Poirier would get another crack at the belt. Right. I mean, he, he's looked pretty phenomenal outside of anyone not named Khabib Nurmagomedov. So he's not out of the title picture, but realistically he probably needs at least one more win to get another crack at the belt through merit and ferguson would certainly you know bump him up probably to near top of the line there uh in in terms of getting another crack against khabib but it's you know there's no incentive on the ufc side to say oh yeah we're gonna give you more money for a ferguson fight when historically Poirier hasn't drawn or, or been a huge needle mover, right? He, he is a he is beloved by hardcore fans, rightfully so. He puts on amazing, exciting fights, but it's similar to Gaethje. I mean, Gaethje's best pay-per-view or or pay, pay-per-view and or just viewing audience in general came against Tony Ferguson when it was the first event back in the middle of a pandemic. There were not a lot of sports on. There's definitely a COVID boost there you know there's a COVID boost because sports had been shut down for a while. Nothing had been on. And all of a sudden you have a pretty stacked card in UFC 249 and pay-per-view numbers for that. I believe we're trending in the 800,000 range or so, which is massive for both Gagey and Ferguson. Cause historically Gagey and Ferguson both didn't really bring in viewers. I mean, Ferguson brought in around 200,000 when he fought Kevin Lee, which is the only other time he he main evented a pay-per-view. And Gagey hadn't main evented a pay-per-view, but had been on had main evented some some ESPN cards and the viewership was not you know the highest ESPN had ever seen. It's you know kind of middling or lower on the lower end. So and, and just look again at Masvidal in terms of, you know, he's selling 1.3 million worldwide. That's still a good 500,000 more than Gaethje versus Ferguson apparently sold. So Gaethje is not this huge needle mover, despite being one of the most entertaining fighters to watch. And that that is something the hardcore fans sometimes really forget is that, you know, you can go out there and be a killer. You can go out there and look phenomenal. Right, Israel Adesanya up until the OL Rim Arrow fight, which yes, we won't we won't go down there. Every everybody gets one, uh, but up until then had looked like a killer. Right, had just been gone gone out there, just made everybody look kind of foolish. Had that fight with Anderson Silva, just just dominated Robert Whitaker, but he wasn't really moving the needle in a you know outside of UFC hardcore fan way. Right, everyone was so hyped on him. Everyone's like, he's amazing, undefeated. And, and he still has that hype, but he's also not bringing in five, 600, 700,000 pay-per-views. You know, Whitaker versus Adesanya did not, you know, hit those numbers. They, they simply didn't. And he's not, you know, some huge crossover star. Is he big in New Zealand and Oceania and Australia? Yeah, of course. Of course. He's, he's, he's growing there. Just, just like Robert Whitaker was big there. I mean, he's, Adesanya is obviously, more popular, I would say, in, in that region, but at least at the moment. But 
I mean, it, it's not to the same level that, say, a Masvidal or a John Jones or a, a McGregor, obviously, is is at or or Khabib even, right? It's it's just not that same transcendence. So. Yes, Poirier is is a super exciting fighter. He's put on amazing fights, but to the promotion, he's not bringing in an extra three, four hundred thousand pay per view buys. He's not, and if you're not doing that, the promotion just isn't going to give you the pay that you probably want, regardless of how good you look. Right? I mean, it, it's it is what it is. It, it's 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 crappy for the fighters for sure but that's how the promotion has always worked and Poirier is one of the most you know in terms of getting 150k 150k that is not bad at all it's good stuff and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve more from a fighter you know MRP standpoint you can check my record on that he fighters definitely deserve a bigger share and Poirier definitely has every right in the world to to go out there and say I deserve more money, but he doesn't have the leverage, is what it comes down to. He simply doesn't. It, it's, you know, he's not bringing in all these extra pay per view buys. He's not getting that cross promotion from the media where, you know, Sports Center's having him on to talk about, you know, his next fight. And, you know, yes, he does the charity work, which I, I respect and I think is awesome, but it's not like that charity work is getting picked up by mainstream news outlets, even though it probably should. It, he he just doesn't have the leverage where the UFC is going to say, you know what, all right, we'll kick you an extra 200 grand for this fight. Or, or, all right, we'll bump you up. We'll renegotiate your contract. Let's go ahead and talk about that. He, he doesn't have that leverage. Uh, it's, it's rare that a fighter gets the opportunity to, to have some sort of leverage to hold over the UFC to renegotiate. Again, with Masvidal even, who was definitely more of a crossover star, it took Burns falling out of a fight and them needing a last-minute replacement for him to finally get the deal done. So even then, it's that might that's probably what it's going to take for Poirier, is he's probably going to have to be waiting in the wings. And if Gagey pulls out or, or Khabib pulls out and they need an interim fight, you know, that I, especially since he has a win over Gagey, then they might ring ring up Poirier and say, hey, you know, Khabib's out, he's injured. You want to fight for another interim belt? And, and they might be willing to give him some more money, especially if it's a week or two out. But other than that, fortunately, this cycle of fighters saying they, they need more money, which is good that they are recognizing their worth finally and that they're standing up to the motion and saying, hey, no, I need more. It's good that they're aware of that now rather than, you know, blinders on saying, yeah, the promotion's amazing, paying me everything I'm worth. And it's kind of like, well, the numbers don't necessarily support that. It still unfortunately leaves them with no real leverage in these scenarios. And Poirier is not going to get what he wants. He might sit on the shelf for a while. He might hang back, wait for an opportunity to jump in at a last minute cancellation. But I wouldn't be surprised if he if he's on the shelf for a while at this point, simply because if, if he's asking for more money, he's got nothing in, in terms of negotiational leverage uh, to go against the UFC. So sorry guys, it, it sucks. I, I want to see that fight too, but I, I don't think it's going to get done for 254 or in the near future for that matter. All right. Shifting gears. Now, let's go ahead and talk about Bellator's big announcement that is scheduled to happen tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Zoom. Uh, Scott Coker said, hey, we're having a major announcement. There's a lot of speculation here. Is it Brock Lesnar being signed, which would be, you know, bonkers? Is it 
you know, some some huge fight announcement or an announcement of a tournament. I've seen some of that going on. A lot of speculation as to what it could be. I, I hate to disappoint, and I don't know that this, this is it for sure. I kind of hope I'm wrong because it would be nice to be wrong in this scenario. But I'm pretty sure what we're looking at is Bellator announcing that they're moving to CBS Sports or CBS Sports Net or maybe even Showtime, something of that fact former fashion um recently bellator had its last event on the paramount network it's hard to believe that what was spike tv and, and then became paramount network uh, you know the home of mma for the longest time ufc was on there then bellator all of you know it, it's it's been the home of mma or showing at least some type of mma for i think 13 14 years going on 14 years at this point is not going to have any MMA shows, as far as I know. It looks like that's, you know, it's done. They're moving Bellator off of the network. You know, they had a, a good run, kind of. I mean, the past couple of years, obviously, ratings haven't been great. Let's just be honest. We're talking in the 300,000, 200,000 viewers. I think they posted their highest ratings since the Fedor Emelianenko versus Ryan Bader fight uh, recently here when they when they their first event back. And even that was still in the 400,000 range. They're not killing it. Right. You know, ESPN UFC cards were in the millions. Now they're obviously with some of the ESPN headliners, it's not hitting the millions, so to speak, but I mean, they are Bellator and Paramount haven't exactly been, you know, ratings blockbusters. It's, it's sad, but that's just how it is. So, They've moved off of Paramount. They don't have an official home. Uh, you, you have DAZN, but that that's winding down as well. I'm pretty sure at this point what, what they're going to do is announce, hey, we're moving to CBS Sports. We're moving to Showtime. And, and it's it's going to be a new package. They're going to try and you know say, hey, we've got some amazing things we can do now crossover-wise because you have Viacom and CBS merging recently here in the past year or so. Um, you know that, that does open doors for some Showtime Bellator fights, maybe some cross promotion, right? You you'd had MVP do some boxing. Scott Coker has been very open about letting fighters compete in other promotions uh, and other sports, whether that's boxing, whether that's doing the rising crossover. That was a big hit. He, he is all about those cross promotional fights. And I would not be shocked if it's, hey, we're doing CBS Sports most times. We're also going to be doing some crossovers with Showtime Boxing and getting some lower level boxers that maybe don't have a big name for themselves, you know, fighting MVP or fighting some of these uh, Bellator athletes who want to box. Can totally see that happening. But I, I don't think we're going to get some announcement tomorrow that's Brock Lesnar is signed and we're doing Lesnar versus, you know, Fedor. Could that happen? Technically, but that would be... That that would be a real shocker in my book. I, I don't know where they would have gotten the money to get Lesnar on board with that. And if they are putting the money towards Lesnar, I uh, don't think they're going to get their return on investment there. I really doubt it. And and I also don't think it's going to be another tournament or you know a huge, crazy super fight that nobody saw coming. I, I there's a time and place for that. And right now, especially with the pandemic, even though they have the fight sphere and they're trying to protect athletes, we've seen in the UFC and other promotions, bare knuckle, how, how COVID's been affecting things. I don't think you want to try and run a tournament right now. I think it's a bad idea. Um, so with, with that all in mind, 
at least in another tournament. You know, it, no, I, I don't see it happening. Uh, with that all in mind, I, I think it's probably just yeah, it, it's going to be their new home, which I would guess is CBS Sports Net. I believe is is the name of the channel. I don't think it'll be CBS proper, although they probably will, just like the UFC does with ESPN Plus and ESPN. They'll have some shows on CBS proper, but and or on Showtime. And I do th- I do think there will be even if they don't announce a showtime card. I do think they will announce like, yeah, we're going to do cross promotion here. We're going to have, you know, MVP box somebody or another, you know, cyborg box somebody could totally see that. Uh, Even if it's not a formal fight announcement, they just really hint or outright say they're going to do that somewhere down the line. Fully expect that. But I really think that announcement's probably just going to be their new, you know, broadcast outlet. Sorry, guys. I hope I'm wrong, but I I bet good money that it's just going to be, hey, we're on CBS now, which is still good. I think it's a good thing for Bellator. I think it gives them some more exposure. We'll see what their ratings are like when they make that move. We'll see if they go to Showtime, you know, what those events are looking like. I'm sure insiders will be able to uh, give give some numbers. There will be reports about ratings or viewership, you know, whether it's leaked or official. I, I'm sure there will be discussion around it wherever bellator ends up but uh yeah nothing too crazy sorry guys don't see it happening all right speaking of bellator uh they also signed a deal with oko sports which is a media company owned by a subsidiary of rambler media corporation to now uh, be their official broadcast partner in russia Conversely, uh, PFL has been making some moves in the international distribution market. Uh, They recently made a deal with uh, India Sport in terms of getting some uh, broadcast out in the Indian region, and they've talked about bringing in some fighters from India for their next season. So, and I'm sorry, Eurosport India, not India Sport, Eurosport India uh, for the PFL. So, you know, two pretty big moves there for both Bellator and PFL What's the play here, right? Why why do these distribution deals now in the middle of a pandemic? It's, one might think, well, you know, is that the best time to be signing and inking a new deal here? Well, for Bellator and, PF, and the PFL, yes, 100%. Uh, again, most of these media companies are, are starved for content right now. Things are going back to normal in a sense. Uh, you know, tonight is technically the first night of American football being back. You have the MLB has been back on a reduced schedule. You have the NBA in the bubble. Things are kind of getting back to normal. Um, you know, soccer's still going strong in, in terms of their bubble, uh, no fans type games. But it, it still is at a slower pace, obviously, than before the pandemic happened. and. These broadcast companies need content. Now, that's not to say that Bellator is going to be, you know, churning out card after card after card and, you know, Oco Sports is only going to show Bellator. But especially because Bellator has proven with their fight sphere that like, yeah, we're going to come back. We're going to do events similar to the UFC. And MMA is one of the few sports that can kind of return to normal. Uh, We'll talk about the derailments we've seen in the UFC recently here in in a second but you know it this is getting more getting back into more of a normal rhythm than pretty much any other sport it's you could still have full events you can still generally have the cards stay intact when covid doesn't strike and even if it does it's not that the whole thing gets scrapped uh whereas if you know 
an MLB player test positive, they cancel the games or push them back. That's not the case in MMA. You, you lose a couple of fights because some people test positive for COVID. You still have an event. You still have something to broadcast. So it, it makes sense that Oko Sports is, is making this deal with Bellator because they're getting back in the full swing of it, especially if they announce you know, that they're going to do the CBS or Showtime deal tomorrow. That, you know, means they're probably going to start picking up the pace in terms of cards. It's not going to be, you know, a card here, card there. My guess is Bellator will have more cards than they did when they were Paramount. So that really helps out Oko Sports. If you've got somebody consistently delivering content and things are pretty much running as close to normal as possible, given the circumstances. PFL side is a little bit different. Uh, Obviously, they've canceled this season but they're looking at doing 2021 they're talking about doing a bubble uh and and it seems that they are dead set on doing that regardless of where the pandemic is at they're going to do a bubble uh, similar to what the nba has done which has proven very effective in covid against covid19 you haven't had anyone test positive there if a player's left that bubble uh they've either been forced to quarantine or or been sent home and so far you have not seen the issues that the mlb has faced and most likely what the NFL will face, we'll see this is week one, obviously, but we've heard about, you know, people in training camp, whether it's uh, Ezekiel Elliott catching it or, or you know, several people on a particular team catching it. They haven't been outspoken about COVID outbreaks, but it's definitely been happening. So uh, with a bubble, they're, they're going to be insulated. They're probably going to run as normal throughout that entire 2021 season. And Again, with Eurosport India, that's if you're looking for content, especially right now when you can't guarantee some of uh, you know sports like who knows what soccer is going to look like in terms of fans. And if you know, again, players catch it, they could end up canceling games, postponing games. Looks like PFL is going to be consistently there in 2021. So that that's probably why uh, they're getting these deals done. And again, for the promotion itself. Bellator and PFL have leverage, right? They can say, yeah, we're going to put on events consistently. You're not going to have a game postponed the last minute because a couple players test positive a couple days before. It's not going to happen. They're, they're going to scrap those fights if that happens. PFL, I'm sure, will have a list of alternates lined up just in case, uh, just similar to how they have, you know, in their tournament, uh, tournament format, somebody gets injured either in the regular season or the playoffs. They have alternates in place ready to step in they're going to have those lined up for sure. And especially if they're looking to bring in some, you know, Indian fighters that could get kind of a fan base in a emerging market that is hungry for sports. I'm sure, you know, they, they are growing at a rapid pace. It's an emerging market for several industries. Sports is no different. Uh, you, you had WWE make a big move over there um, over the past several years where Jinder Mahal became the champion, really trying to get their, their footholds, in that Indian consumer market, it's a good it's a good call. And PFL has the leverage to say, yeah, no, give us a pretty good deal on this. We'll build up some local stars. We'll we'll throw them in uh, to the tournament. Tournament, ugh, can't say tournament today. Tournament format, uh, and and we'll give them good exposure. We'll give them you know hometown hero status. Let let's let's roll with this, and it, it's a good deal all around. So smart move by both promotions. Don't know the specifics of either deal in terms of you know what the money looks like right now. I'm sure those will eventually come out, but a uh, good call for both promotions, especially given the time of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's never a bad idea to, to leverage your ability to put on consistent events to, 
to renegotiate or get new media rights broadcast deals. And that's what both Bellator and PFL have done. So it, good play by both of them. And we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see if it works out for them. Last thing I want to touch on for this episode is the COVID-19 derailments of UFC cards. Not just the UFC. You had BKFC have Phil Baroni get pulled. I, I mean, it, it's affecting everybody, but UFC in particular and what's going on there. So last week we had seven fights, just a main card, no prelims. That hasn't happened since 2005, maybe 2006. I'm pretty sure 2005. Either way, nearly 15 years ago, which is bonkers. To, to not have prelims, to have seven fights is insane. And because of last-minute COVID-19 positives, which is not great because those fighters were obviously interacting with other people in – the fighter hotels, they, they were, you know, doing the weigh-ins, they fist bumped Dana White or shaking Dana White's hand in some cases. Uh, not great. Not great that they later, you know, turned up positive. Now, this, this was inevitable when you were putting fights on in the pandemic, right? We didn't see it as much when the UFC first started, uh, but now we're getting a, a lot of positive test cases. I think a big reason for that is just virus fatigue. You know, I, Let's not go down the road of political, you know, leanings or whether you should wear a mask or not. There, you know, there's plenty of research on there. You, you, people are going to have their own opinions. I, I don't want to address all that, but no matter where you are at in all of that, um, and and where you lean and what your beliefs are, everyone is feeling this virus fatigue. Right? Things are not back to normal. Things are not pre-COVID-19. There is no vaccine. If you've been super diligent, you know, staying in your house, except for going out absolutely when you need to, you've got to be feeling it at this point, just in terms of, you know, not being able to go visit people and do your normal, regular routine, being cooped up, feeling cabin fever. Uh, any way you cut it, the world is kind of in this virus fatigue right now. And things are opening up more, especially as cases have gone down in the United States, things are starting to open up more. And when that happens, there's an inevitable uptick in cases. There's inevitably people who are spreading it without knowing, uh, you know, from person to person, it's going to happen. And so being in Vegas, right, where casinos are open, although they are at limited capacity and all that, you still got people moving around, doing all that stuff. If a fighter is staying at a, you know, one of the many Vegas hotels on the strip or even outside the strip, but a nicer hotel, which the UFC generally puts people up in, in, you know, solid hotels. We're not talking like La Quinta in the middle of nowhere. That's 45 minutes from the venue, generally around, uh, you know, the apex, I'm sure is, is where they're hanging out, but, but they're not under strict protocols. They're, they're really not. And that I think is the biggest thing that we've seen from the fights falling out at Abu Dhabi on Fight Island, where you had extremely strict protocols in place. I mean, they made sure you didn't come out of your room. You were quarantined between every test. They had a bubble. You were not allowed to leave. It was strict. I mean, very strict versus people kind of being left to their own devices where some fighters will take every precaution in the world and probably be all right, not you know, test positive. Others will end up just being in the wrong place at the wrong time at a hotel where maybe a worker has it or another guest has it and they don't realize it. And you're kind of left, you know, well, crap, uh, now I've tested positive and what am I supposed to do? And 
with, with that, I think that as bad as it has been, where we've seen now arguably the worst, I, I know, you know, I'm not even going to say arguably, I'm going to see the worst scenario the UFC has, the UFC has seen so far through COVID with last week's event where they were down to seven fights. I, I think that once they go back to Fight Island because of the strict protocols I mentioned, because those are still going to be in place in Abu Dhabi, they are not messing around with this. They are saying, nope, guess what? Bubble, no fans, same protocols as before. I think when we go back to Fight Island, those COVID-19 cancellations go away. Yes, you may have one or two fighters end up testing positive where they, you know, caught it on the plane ride or, you know, actually I wouldn't even say probably not even the plane ride, probably beforehand. And then they just either haven't tested positive yet or uh, don't have symptoms yet. You know, virus obviously takes a while to incubate. They're still working on that. It's a novel new thing. Science isn't completely exact with, with incubation periods and things like that. People are reacting different too. There's a 14 day window where you can be completely fine. And then on day 14, you can start showing symptoms. I mean, so it, you may have one or two fighters end up testing positive there from before they were in the bubble. But once they get there, you know, you're not going to have these fight day cancellations of, oh, oh, somebody tested positive or, you know, three or four fights dropping out. It, it, they're probably going to weed those out pretty quickly, especially with the amount of tests they were doing and the way they were quarantining everyone. That's not going away. They're not changing that protocol. So my guess is maybe one, at most two dropouts due to COVID-19 once they go back to Fight Island, and then we'll get back into a normal rhythm where you're not seeing these crazy last-minute cancellations and switching you know, of fights and all of that. Now, will there still be the weight-cutting issues and things that we've come to see in MMA where you know, fights end up getting canceled because somebody can't cut weight or has an issue cutting weight or... Yeah, or it gets an injury last minute. Sure, that, that stuff's gonna it's gonna happen, but you're not gonna see the same COVID nineteen effect once we move back to Abu Dhabi. It just you know they, they are taking it far too strict over there that the likelihood that somebody accidentally catches it, it it's not going to not gonna happen. So our woes are you know possibly gonna continue. Uh, obviously, Frank Camacho is out from a COVID nineteen positive test. I think he's the only one so far this week that's that's been pulled you know, a couple days before the event and they do have a replacement. Jalen Turner is now going to fight Brock Weaver instead of Frank. We may see another fight or two drop out last minute. I could see that. Uh, Covington Woodley fight. I think the same thing is possible, but once we move to UFC 253 and beyond for the five or I believe six week stint where they're back in Abu Dhabi, it's not going to be the same effect. We're going to get some normal fights that are scheduled. I mean, Hopefully 254, you know, I, I, I don't think 254 is going to be plagued by, by COVID. Again, I won't tempt the MMA gods here by saying, oh, no injuries will happen. We'll keep it all intact. Not going to do that, but it, it's not going to face those COVID-19 problems. So two more weeks or really at this point, you know, 10 days, I think 10 days is what we're looking at, where we just got to get through 10 more days of last minute switcheroos and people dropping out. But after that, then we should finally get back to some normal expectations in terms of this is who's on the fight card and this is who's actually fighting. All right, well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, for watching this episode. Really appreciate you uh, watching this, and I, I promise I am working on guests. I am sad that the guests I've been working on for a little bit now 
was not able to get on this week. I'm really hoping we get them on next week. I don't want to spoil who it is. It should be an incredible interview. Uh, but, you know, we are working on that, and I'm hoping next week is going to be our lucky number. and We're, we're going to get that done. But I do appreciate you listening, as always. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate the support. If you have any questions, hit me up at AllDayOJ on Twitter. That's uh, A-L-L-D-A-Y-A-U-G-E-R, spelled like auger, name's OJ. You should, if you watch this, you know this by now. If you haven't and you're new, thank you so much, and now you know. Uh, but, you know, again, hit me up with feedback. And anything that you want me to cover, I will cover. If you say, hey, I, as long as it's business related and not something crazy. But if it has just a twinge of business, uh, I, I will cover it. So hit me up. Uh, drop any comments in here or feedback that you have. Again, really appreciate it. And keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm.